Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and today's guest is the one and only Stephen Cutler. Stephen is a fascinating guy and someone I've been looking to get on the podcast for some time. He is the founder of the Flow Research Collective and one of the world's leading experts in ultimate human performance. He's written uh, many books, including New York Times bestseller, Abundance, as well as uh, The Rise of Superman and Stealing Fire. He wrote Stealing Fire with Jamie Wheel, who I've also had on the podcast, and a trilogy with Peter Diamantis. And uh, I think you'll really get a lot of value out of this episode. We go deep into flow state and how to tap into flow state into the key tenets and foundations for peak performance that you can utilize in your own life, uh, as well as how to maintain focus. So when many of us get distracted, what is it kind of neuro, neurologically in terms of our neurochemistry that we're getting distracted by? What's at the root of procrastination? And how can we hack that so as to be in our optimal cognition, in flow state, and to sort of be resilient amidst the challenges and distractions of 21st century living so as to live our own peak lives? So I think you'll get a huge amount of value. I will note this was a remote interview, and there is some small glitches um, that you'll notice, nothing that distracts from the quality or integrity of the message, but uh, bear with me. Uh, I apologize. I'm, I'm working very, very hard and have invested a great deal of resource into getting the best quality mics, uh, but sometimes when the internet connection isn't as strong as it could be, there's a tiny little bit, but uh, nothing nothing too crazy. Just my perfectionist self is uh, wanted to give a heads up. Uh, this episode I'm very grateful to share with you is brought to you by two of my favorite companies. The first is Lifecycle. Lifecycle is one of the world's best premium adaptogenic mushroom companies. They have a biohacker pack, uh, which includes a variety of different mushroom serums that I use on a daily basis. I actually just took the lion's mane and the turkey tail. Uh, Their founder, Julian Mitchell, was on my podcast. You can go back and listen to that episode. It's fascinating and phenomenal. We go into a lot of the deep research and insights into the power of mushrooms and how can you can utilize them in your in your world and in your health routine. And if you go on lifecycle l i f e c y k e l dot com and put in peak mind twenty, you'll get twenty percent off your order. Again, lifecycle dot com. This episode is also brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is my go-to premium meat subscription company. All of the meat is uh, humanely raised and hormone and antibiotic-free. They have pasture-raised, grass-fed beef. They have uh, organic chicken. They have wild-caught salmon. And I know uh, many folks live without access to really clean hormone and antibiotic-free meat. And ButcherBox is a great go-to solution. So I recommend you check them out. It's ButcherBox.com. And if you put in Peak Mind at checkout, they're always running both great promotions and you'll get a nice healthy discount on your order. Again, that is ButcherBox.com. And without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Stephen Kotler. Excellent. 
All right, I'm here with my man Stephen Kotler. Uh, Stephen, it's been uh, it's been a couple years in the making, but I'm very excited to uh, to have you on the show. It's good to be with you, Michael. So I wanted to. You're obviously one of the foremost authorities on peak performance and flow state, which is deeply uh, interesting to me and the audience. And I know that you've done a tremendous amount of research, and I thought I would just start by asking from from your research and experience. What are the tenets of, uh, of flow and how to enter into flow state? Do you say what are the types of flow? The tenets. Like what are the core, what are the core tenets, if you will, of, of entering into and maintaining flow state? And, and what, what has been, through your research, sort of, um, sort of some of the greatest insights that, that those listening could apply to um, accessing that state more frequently themselves? Cool. Okay. So when we talk about flow, just to get definitions out of the way, because they're all, they're going to be useful. Um, Please. We are, we are, we are talking about what science to scientists define as an optimal state of consciousness, state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. When psychologists talk about flow and when they measure flow, what they're looking at are six identifying characteristics that range from kind of the complete concentration of the present moment all the way uh, through uh, the vanishing of self, time dilation. So when we're in flow, time passes strangely. It'll speed up or it'll slow down. That's called time dilation. That's one of the characteristics of flow and so forth. So there are these six psychological characteristics. When neuroscientists, myself, my team, the work I do, when we define flow, what we are talking about about is a profound shift in traditional brain function. You see changes in neural anatomy and networks, which is where something in the brain takes place, right? Neural anatomy is single structures and networks is because things rarely happen in only one spot. They're actually networks. Um, and neurochemistry and neuroelectricity, which are the two ways the brain talks to itself and to the body. So you see changes in all kind of all four of these categories. All right, that's a broad overview of what goes on in flow and what we're looking at in flow. To answer your question, this is, um, this is work that uh, I've been very heavily involved in at the Flow Research Collective, but it, the, the, the foundations of it go all the way back to kind of the, uh, to middle of, middle, the middle period of flow psychology in the 1970s with the work of a guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And what we've discovered over this period is that flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. And let's do it at a couple of high levels first, and then we'll get into your question, which is the practical stuff. Love it. At a high level, uh, at a very high level, flow shows up when all of our attention is focused in the right here, right now. But I mean intensely, obsessively, compulsively focused in the right here, right now. Flow's triggers drive attention into the now. More formally, they do one of three things. They either push dopamine into our system, which is a neurochemical, or they push norepinephrine into our system, which is a neurochemical. Both of these, they do, like, neurochemicals are multi-tools, right? They do a lot of different things in the brain, but among the things that dopamine and norepinephrine do is they massively amplify attention, their excitement, their enthusiasm, their I can't stop paying attention to the thing in front of me because it's making me so happy. The other things that flow triggers can do is they can lower cognitive load. 
So cognitive load is all the crap you're thinking about at any one time. And if I remove some of it from your consciousness, I free up extra energy. And your brain, if you're trying to focus, will repurpose that extra energy for attention. So just to give you an example of that, uh, you're probably familiar with Maria Kundu, the Japanese woman who wants to come clean your closets. Yes. Um, Right. (laughs) She wrote a book that sold a few copies. (laughs) Yeah, she sold a couple of copies. She wants to clean your closets, you know, no big deal. Um, The reason she wants to come clean your closets, for example, or the reason that uh, peak performance can start by you cleaning your desk or your office is that, for example, if I wore this sweater five years ago when I got in a terrible fight with my wife, right? Every time, when, whenever you have bad anything, right, going on, the brain wants to know, oh crap, so the negative is happening. What's around it? Is there anything important around it so I can remember and steer around this the next time? So your brain, if you're fighting, if I'm fighting my wife and I'm wearing this sweater, is going to remember gray sweater fighting with wife, right? And it creates it as like a trigger, that, a, a memory trigger for that, for that it's moment. A little, it's a little, it's a little bit of extra RAM in your brain mm. when you see that sweater. So the reason you clean out your closets is so that when you go in to get dressed in the morning, nothing starts to occupy parts of your subconscious, right? Uh, yeah. So cognitive load works the same way. Uh, and let's just start there because uh, this is so there's a bunch of different triggers we could talk about. Um, they're very, very simple. I will give you a stack of uh, three that we think will produce kind of the biggest impact in people's lives. And I'm going, before I give you the stack of three, I'm going to introduce two caveats that I, I, we could call the positive psychology basics. Okay. So over the past 30 years, positive psychology has been studying peak performance Including, and there are a number of obvious things that conclusions they have drawn about high flow lifestyles. So, the foundational this isn't even psychology, this is just basic kind of biology, physiology is you have to get enough sleep at night, you need good nutrition and good hydration, and you need um, regular exercise. Hmm. That's just right. Like it's just sort of it's just sort of basic. And you, oh, excuse me. Let's let's boot regular exercise out of that list. We'll come. But that's going to be on the second list. I was wrong. You need hydration, nutrition, enough sleep at night, and social support. So other people who are right. This is baseline positive psychology. If you're interested in peak performance, forget flow. Just I want to perform at my best. This the research consistently shows. Get to sleep seven to eight hours a night. You got to have quality nutrition, quality hydration, and you got to be around other people. Um, you don't have to do it a lot. I don't like, like other people. I'm an extreme introvert, but it doesn't change the fact that every day when I'm done working, before I go over and hang out with my wife, I reach out and make one phone call to one friend just so I, I talk to one friend a day and then I'm going to go talk to my wife. And like I can, you know, go that way for months on end, right? And not talk to anybody else, but I, I make sure I do that. Uh, level two, right, uh, of positive psychology basics is that you have a choice, but you've got to do one of these things pretty much every day. Either do we have a gratitude practice, have a mindfulness, respiration, breathing practice, or get regular exercise. Mm. And the reason is not fancy. The reason is all three of these things calm your nervous system the fuck down. 
right? And they do it in different ways. There's really great science on all this stuff. Uh, the gratitude stuff is amazing. We uh, at the Flow Research Collective have a partnership with Glenn Fox at USC, kind of one of the world's leading neuroscientists on gratitude. We've been looking at how gratitude and flow work together, so there's a, there's a relationship there. But it's just a performance basics. It retunes the brain. It makes you notice more positive than negative information, and it, it, it big role. Mindfulness, all I'm talking about is pay use a mantra or pay attention to your breath. Breathe in, breathe out, right? Long, slow inhales, long, slow exhales. There's a ton of techniques out there. But it's either a five minutes of a gratitude practice, 11 minutes of a breathwork meditation practice, or 20 to 40 minutes of exercise. And what you're looking for is the exercise is when it goes quiet upstairs, mm. you're good. When it goes quiet upstairs, you've reset your nervous system. And why those three matter so much to flow, we'll get to in half a second. But just know for right now that if you're interested in improving performance, right, these are foundational. It's almost impossible to get into the game at any serious level if you're not doing those. Mm. This brings us to the three flow triggers we want to talk about. The first flow trigger, I want to come right off. We were talking about cognitive load. Clear goals. So goals are critical for high performance across the board. We know from foundational goal setting theory, simply creating a goal will give you an 11 to 25% boost in motivation. That's a huge boost. That's a big, if an eight hour work day is sort of your baseline at the upper level, that's like getting two hours of free work a day simply because you built a frame, aka a goal around what you were doing, mm. right? Big deal. We're not talking about big goals. Goals should actually be set, I believe, in, in three stacks. You sort of need your mission statement for your life. Then you need your high, hard goals. These are the goals you're going to, the things you need to achieve to achieve your mission statement. So if I want to write books for a living, one of my high, hard goals would, might be go to college and get a creative writing, right? That sort of thing. Or write a book. Those could be high, hard goals. Clear goals are the tiny things you're going to do today to advance your cause. Almost like Quite segmenting simply. the larger goal into actionable That's steps. exactly right. You want, you want so, and it, it's both segmenting and filtering. So I, I hate giving personal examples because I always say personality doesn't scale, biology scales, meaning don't listen to me. What works for me is not going to work for you because of nature and nurture and genetics and environment and all sorts of stuff. But in this case, I'll give you examples in my own life. So one of my goals is, big goals, is to advance flow science and research, right? That's a huge mission statement goal for my life. And, you know, if I was going to, like, the only way I'm going to declare victory is if I win a Nobel Prize, right? Until that happens, I'm not declaring victory. So, like, that's what that looks like. High hard goals I have at the Flow Research Collective right now. We've got a different major research, lines of research. See with Imperial College London, with UCLA, and so forth, right? That's what I'm doing. Those are my high, hard goals. Today, I had to get on the phone with my director of research, and I had to have a conversation about how we're going to set up our internal review board for a particular study we're doing, right? That's a clear goal. And when I write clear goals, you, there's two things that really matter here, and both are critical. Three things are critical. One, when you say clear goals to Americans, especially, they hear goals. They don't hear clear. The focus is not on the goals. It's on the clarity. Mm. Why? Flow follows focus. 
what goal is clear because it tells us what we're doing right now and what we're doing next. So the brain doesn't have to wonder. It just always knows what it's doing. It lowers cognitive load because it knows where it's going. If you're a writer, I always say you have to know in any given writing session where you're starting your the brain actually does pattern recognition, meaning it'll fill in the gaps in between. That's what it does. But if it doesn't have a start point and an end point, it doesn't know how to get there. It doesn't work. It works really well. Clear goals are mission statements for your day, and they have to be incredibly clear. And when I say clear, I don't mean go to town. When I write down my clear goals, it says, you know, the name of the book I'm writing. So like this morning was Art of Impossible. My goal was 750 words and the da- – so it said Art of Impossible dash 750 dash and it said go happy, go be cohesive, which is how I wanted to feel, how I wanted the writing to make me feel so I knew I'd accomplished the goal, right? What, say I that again. The, the three feel- was happy, the, the other two? Yeah. I just all, – all I'm looking for is – what the goal like is, I have to write 750 words in my book, and I want, when I'm done, done, how do you, like I didn't want to declare victory by word count, I wanted to declare victory by going back and reading what I read, and it made me feel happy, like it, up, it had an uplift in quality, yep. and it was cohesive in that it locked down the entire chapter, right? That. So all I'm talking about is, this is what I'm trying to do, this is how I'm trying to get it to make me feel when it's done. Nothing more, really simple. Here's the second step. This is a, you got to, you got to do this at length over time to figure this one out, figure out how many things you can do in a day and still be great at them and do that many every day. That's it. I can do seven or eight things a day, sometimes nine and be really great at all of them. Now, some of these are big things, right? Chunks of books. Some of these are smaller things. Have a podcast conversation with Michael. Some of them are even smaller than that. Hike my dog, right? But I, I, on the list. On average, I can do seven or eight things, nine things a day. So that's all I do, right? I've got my high, hard goals. I've got my clear goals. I know I can only do seven or eight of them in a day and be super successful. And finally, the thing that's most important about this is this stuff lets you declare victory over your day. And for top performers, we don't like to stop working. Mm. And it's right? It's a real problem. Yeah. And if you don't stop working, you're going to burn out and you, all you have to, you have to know how to declare victory every day. And here's the other thing. You also have to cross off your clear goal list as you go along, go along because that's how the brain knows it got it done. Every time you cross something off, you're lowering more cognitive load. And what this does also is even though you're going through your list of stuff during the day, you're getting more tired. Every time you Cross something off, you lower cognitive load a little bit, you get a little more energy. So that is tip one. That is what we're doing one. We're setting a clear goal list. My advice is at the end of your day, end your day with a five-minute gratitude practice, then a five-minute clear goal list, and then five minutes for distraction management because this is going to set up the second thing we're going to talk about, the second flow trip. Flow follows focus. So the clearest, most obvious best way to hack flow is to create states of uninterrupted concentration. Mm. What the research shows, and this is hard for most people, and most people don't understand the enormous power in, in what I'm about to say, which is 90 to 120 minutes a day of uninterrupted concentration. So I like to start my day with 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration writing my book. 
right? Yeah. What you want to do is you want to start your day with 920 minutes of concentration because it will maximize flow. And you want to go after your hardest task, number one item on your clear goal list, the thing that if you accomplish it, right, you got to ask yourself the question every, every day you sit down to make a clear goal list for your next day. How do I win tomorrow? What is it? What is a huge, huge win of tomorrow look like? And the thing that moves you the farthest that that's what goes number one on your list kind of thing, right? That's simple. And what I was going to say earlier is at the end of my day, I've done gratitude. I've created my clear goals list for the next day. So I know what I'm doing. I wake up, I go right to my desk. I know right what I'm doing. And then I practice distraction management. I set the room up. For 90 minutes to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration, I shut down the cell phone, I shut off Skype, I shut off messages, anything that could distract me, right, gets closed down so I can come into my 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration. And the only time, by the way, you shouldn't start your day that way is if you're a night owl. Mm. Happen to be a night owl. You want to start your night, the session where you have the most natural, most energy because you're in tune with your circadian rhythms, right? You can't, it's hard to fight energy, just like it's hard to not, if you don't get enough sleep at night, it's hard to produce the state of flow because it requires a lot of energy, um, hard to fight energy and you shouldn't do it. It's too hard. Yeah. Right. Just go and say, so you've got your clear goals list. You got your two, you got your nine and 20 minutes of uninterrupted concentration and finally, the hell, how do you approach the thing that you're doing in your 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration? That was my, yeah, exactly. Okay. Because, and, 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 I'll, and I'll preface this by saying you've been very successful at writing several books. Um, and I know for several listening, including myself, um, the cracking the code on procrastination, I'm, I'm well aware and set my morning up for focus. But the distraction procrastination uh, trap is real, and so okay, so I'm we're sure going to we're talk that. that. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> where we're going right now. Okay, Good. so we've now created sort of perfect preconditions for flow. Yep. What's going to actually kick you into the state? Um, for example, right? I all I want these preconditions every day. I'm going to write. I'm going to write a hell of a lot better if I'm in flow. So this is how I've sort of set myself up while writing. The most important of flow's triggers, what's often called the golden rule of flow, is what's known as the challenge skills balance. Mm. This is the idea. Flow follows focus. So we may pay the most attention to the task at hand when the challenge of the task stretches us. You want to stretch, but you don't want to snap. You want to be pushed to the skill set. So you're outside your zone. So this is going to require being comfortable with being uncomfortable but just slightly so. If I explain it emotionally, I'd say, hey, it's not exactly on, but it's very near the midpoint between anxiety and boredom. Mm. Anxiety is too much stimulation. I'm paying too much attention. Boredom, there's not enough. I'm not paying any attention. In between is this sweet spot. It's what's known as the flow channel. Now, a number of years ago, uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and a Google mathematician sat down and they tried to put a number on it, and they were kidding around mostly. They did a back-of-the-envelope calculation that came up with 4%, a 4% difference between challenge and skills. Now, we took this number into the Flow Research Collective and actually hammered on it for a bunch of years. I can't quite call what we did research because it's really hard to study something like this. It's, we, we have, like, we've, we've done it, and I can talk about what we did and how we did it and whatever. It doesn't really matter. What we found, though, is it's more... Point 
Um, it seems pretty accurate. And the reason I throw it out there, not that you're going to have a freaking clue what 4% harder actually means, but what it really means is peak performers have a problem with 4% um, because it's so small. Hmm. It, peak performers like to take on challenges that are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% greater than their skill sets simply for the thrill of it. I'm not saying don't go after the higher goals. I'm saying chunk them down so that what you're doing today is 4% greater than your sweet spot. Mm. So let me, let, let, me, let me talk about a couple of examples of what this looks like. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples from industry, and then we'll talk about what it looks like in, in individual lives. So one of the best applications of 4% uh, in the challenge skills balance I've ever seen in industry was Toyota with Kaizen. So you remember Kaizen? Kaizen was uh, this idea that if you worked at Toyota anywhere, you work on the line, it doesn't matter. It's everybody's job to make the company better. So what happened was people who were automatons, they were working on the line. That was all they did. They, they screwed this ratchet twice. Next, screwed this ratchet twice. Fairly boring. A robot could do it. Suddenly their job was to screw that ratchet twice and observe the entire line and see if there's any way that they can prove the line. As a result, the challenge went up just slightly, 4%. Focus massively increased, flow massively increased, and because flow has such a profound impact on creativity and innovation, Toyota got a hell of a lot better, a hell of a lot faster, right? So it's a little tiny tweak, huge, huge impact. And again, these are three little tiny tweaks, right? Clear goals, complete concentration, and the challenge skills, how you approach that. So let me give you an example from my own life with writing. Earlier, I said my goal today was 750 words. Mm -hmm. I, um, because I can write 400 words with my eyes closed. That's easy every day, right? Gets a little bit harder around 5, 550, and 7, 750, I got to really know what I, like, I got to know where I'm going. It's not enough just to make the words pretty. Like, I got to actually go know where I'm going and get somewhere, and it's hard, but it's not impossible. Right. And the, the point is, choose a way to, 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 when you list your clear goals, Build into that how you're going to up the challenge level. You had a problem with procrastination. Procrastination, most people think it's this, it's funny. We have this really, we, 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 we're, we're funny about emotions. And procrastination is this thing that has this awful social connotation. Oh, I procrastinate. I'm, I'm a bad person, right? No, actually, your body is hardwired for peak performance. It does not want to perform if it can't perform at its best. Procrastination is a signal that you are not in the right state of mind to pay the maximum amount of focus to the thing that you're doing. That's what procrastination is. Hmm. It's not, I want to put, no, no. It's a signal that you don't have the challenge skills balance right. So if you are putting something off and putting it off because it's too scary, it's making you anxious, you have to chunk it down so that what you're doing today doesn't make you anxious. And it sits in that challenge skill sweet spot. If it's too boring, you got to turn up the freaking volume. I'll give you a perfect example. I used to, so I was a freelance journalist forever, right? And 
uh, the name of the game with freelance journalism is the hustle, right? You just like I like I was the most successful freelancer in America, which means I wrote for the most magazines in America. And the reason I did, I had to pay my bills. Like there, there, it wasn't, <laughs> like, there was no other choice here, but I'm just trying to pay my bills. I'm writing for everybody, and that meant I'm saying yes to every assignment in the world. You want me to go investigate data caves? Great. Let's write about data caves. You want me to go hobo across America? Great. Let's go hobo. Whatever it was, I, w- I was saying yes because I needed the money. That also meant I wrote a lot of stuff I wasn't super interested in. So, and I, and you can't. It's a terrible idea, right? Even if you're even if you're to put it off to the night before, to procrastinate to the night before, even though the night before I'm suddenly going to pay enough attention, right? That's why you put it off to the night before because suddenly your brain is like, well, now you give a fuck. Yep. Now you can pay attention. Now you can perform at your best. Right. So you're you're being tuned by your emotions to perform at your best in a sense. I used to say, okay, you've got this article that you have to write for publication X that will go unnamed. That's really boring. Why don't you write this? Try to write this article in the style of Hemingway or Dickens or Faulkner. And I would do stuff like that because it would up the challenge level. And I could work on the story two months out instead of the night before. So those are, we're going to stop there. Um, but we've covered flow. We've covered sort of the peak performance basics, the things you got to do. Um, it just to add on a level on a performance basis. And then we covered three kind of foundational flow triggers. And these are, by the way, these are not arbitrary. Uh, I have a team of uh, eight different neuroscientists and psychologists working with me. And we have collaborations with, with a bunch of other psychologists and neuroscientists. And five months ago, I went out to all of them and I said the thing, I, like I, I finally, I want to kill people when they stand up and say, Stephen, what are three things I can do Monday morning? I literally, literally jump into the audience and beat the person to death. Because if you're <laughs> asking me the question, what are the three things you can do Monday morning? You're not going to do them. Shut the fuck up. This is not for you at all. Um, and the reason is peak performance is, yeah, you can do three things Monday morning. I just gave you three things to do Monday morning. But the problem is if you actually want any results, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat for years on end. And the reason is peak performance works like compound interest, mm. right? It's a little bit today. It's a little bit tomorrow. It's a little bit. I, the example I always like to give people on that one is Flow will make you about, this is McKinsey's research, about 500% more motivated and productive. Now, flow, uh, and, and you can get into flow, those deep flow states that, that will do that two, three times a week. If you're in flow a couple, two, three times a week, um, you're gaining, every time you're there, you're gaining extra hours. Even if you're gaining, even if you gain an hour a week. Right. Um, from this in terms of productivity and quality and work. And it turns into, you know, four hours a month. And it's, you know, a cup about a day and a half over a year. Right. It starts to compound and starts to compound and starts to compound. And it really starts to add up. We did it. We did some work on motivation where we were realizing that if you could stack up your core intrinsic motivators and it, it saved you roughly an hour a day um, 
by combining intrinsic motivators and flow, and you had got an hour a day in terms of productivity and better quality, so you didn't have to repeat the work, so maybe saved you an hour tomorrow. We did the, We worked the numbers on it, and essentially, after a year, you're a couple months ahead of the competition. Hmm. After, after 10, right, you're a couple years ahead of the competition. So it feels like a tiny little, I'm only doing this little thing today, and it's put, but it's compound interest, and ultimately, it really adds up. I mean, I think that's fascinating for a variety of reasons. One, I love the analogy of compound interest uh, and consistency. And for me, at least, and I don't know if this correlates exactly to your 4%, but one of the things I do is I try to focus on getting 1% better than I was the day before because I find if I set, I like to have massive goals, but I also like to feel like I'm knocking wins on the board because if I get too many losses, I feel like it, it can be it can be derailing. So for me, I love that idea of incremental and consistent effort. I really resonate with that. Um, and one of the things I think that just struck me as you were talking was, uh, you know, I, reasons why, like, say, Tim's book, For Our Work Week, I think gained so much traction was this idea of time and the value of time and being able to exercise and utilize time with more freedom, but also to greater effect. And so as you talked about the Toyota example, but then also I think towards the end there, as you were, as you were speaking about flow, it occurred to me that I feel like we have so many demands now on our time, as well as that mind space, you know, with the perennial distractions. And, and I think, um, you know, the brain coming and, and evolving over, you know, these multitudes of thousands of years, but yet, which goes into this sort of subject of, of what you've been focusing on a lot lately with your with your writing, but also the, now the, the, the kind of new inputs of 21st century living, I, I feel like, and I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I started researching, like the amount of time, if you added up how much the average person spends on email is is several years, you know. Now, the amount of time people spend on social media is several years of their life. Add sleeping and add working. We spent, uh, <laughs> we, on, on average, we, so we're awake on average, right, 16, 17 hours a day. Right. 11 hours online is what most people spend. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, this is the thing. So, so when you take that, it's like how many hours are left to actually execute on those big goals you're talking about? For me, um, and, and, and this is one of the reasons I'm fascinated by, by you, both your research but also your results in, in terms of what you've been able to create, is writing for me I know is part of my future, but it is something where I have not yet demonstrated results in the way that you have. And I know that it requires for me, like you said, the procrastination comes when I haven't set up the ideal conditions for executing on that in a flow in a, in a way that sort of um, determines flow. So the quandary, and I know several people I've talked to have asked the same question: is Do you do you Bonnie Verrett? Like, do you go out to a cabin in the woods that eliminates all distraction and 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 you know, kind of no Wi-Fi, all those things, or which I think is more realistic and and sort of the what I garnered from what you shared earlier. Can you just approximate that within your home space by sort of getting up and, and just making sure that you don't even touch anything for the first two hours and utilize that 
as the precursor to train your brain that for those first two hours, if those eight things I do in t- today, that's going to be my writing time. That's going to be my undistracted time. I don't know if you have a distinct opinion. It sounded like the second was feasible in what you do, uh, which gives me hope. But um, have you seen – I mean I'm, I'm sure it's individual to each person. Um, but have you seen one sort of model that works uh, consistently well across the board uh, in terms of how people can approach that that level of focus for, for, for large-scale work? I, yeah, I, I am not a personally – for me, yeah. a believer in the retreat method. Yeah. Go shut away the world. Uh, and, and the reason is it will never work over the long haul. Yeah. If I need to go on a retreat to get something done, um, I'm going to put off the retreat. Sooner, right? Like that stuff. I, I, I want it integrated in my daily life. And mostly, look, I I've been talking about this a lot, uh, oddly, uh, but I, and I, so I think this is true. I used to, as a journalist, cover the drug war. Mm. And in the, when, when, as, in the community, in the drug war community, uh, in the arguments for legalization, there was always a concern, whether it was marijuana or all drugs, that even if you legalize these substances, we were going to lose a generation. You were going to put a, gener- a whole generation at risk. It would stabilize, it would normalize, but the sudden access to, you know, addictive neurochemicals, and it's going to take down a generation. That was always the concern. And it turns out with marijuana, actually, that did not happen at all, right? Like, that's, that's not actually what happened at all. Um, and, but it certainly happened with our technology. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Because we didn't, at least in the drug war, we had these discussions for freaking ever right. about this problem and how to do this safely and how to think about it and all that stuff. This just came, hey, we got a new phone. Get out. It's going to make it to your friends easier. Sure. First line's free, right? That's really what happened there. And um, I think it cost us a generation. And I, you know, I hate to like I hate to sound weird or curmudgeonly or old or any of those things around this topic, but like have some fucking self control, people. <laughs> right? So if you come to a flow research event, yeah, our tags as never trump dopamine. Mm. You get a lot of dopamine in flow, by the way. It produces a lot of dopamine. You get a lot of dopamine from your cell phone. Don't trust it. It's, it's a thin addiction. It doesn't like, it's not, it's not actually helpful. And you got to like, you got to start realizing that that feeling, that craving of, Oh, I want that, right. That fast hit. You actually, no, you don't. It's play it through. Think it through. Like I think about where it's going to take you. Oh, okay. If I I'm I'm working, Oh, I'm I'm getting tugged in this direction. Okay, cool. You're getting tugged in that direction. What happens if you go in that direction? Oh, you're going to stop working. This thing that you're working on, it's never, you're not going to get back. Play it through a little bit. Understand that the short hit of, oh, I feel a little bit better in the universe, right? For now, doesn't actually make what you want to feel is better in the universe. And, and better in the universe is getting the thing in front of you done. Mm. Like just, just play it through. Just think it through for the extra second. Just don't react automatically and stop and say, is this going to get me where I want to go? I mean, if the, if, if the little dopamine hit we got off from checking Facebook actually took us anywhere we want to go, we wouldn't have this discussion. Right. 
right? You said you want to go 1% harder every day because little accomplishments matter. That is the entire secret, right? The, the way we are wired is little victory after little victory after little victory after that's the best drug in the world. Mm-hmm. And that is dopamine. But it's a more rewarding dopamine than we get from the distraction that is Facebook because it's moving us. It's in line with passion and purpose. It's not that dopamine itself is bad. It's that dopamine, if it's not lined up with your passion and purpose, is probably a little bit of empty calories. I resonate with that. I've been thinking a lot lately. Uh, I've just been on a, an experiment uh, with with what are the things that were fun, quote unquote, but the equivalent, if you will, of a Facebook like, like little dopamine things that that actually, in a cost benefit analysis, cost me more than they benefited me, and what is fulfilling, but yet can also be fun. And so lately, I've just been experimenting with altering. Like I cut out alcohol because I like. I'm not saying I'll never drink again, but I just recognized. At this particular phase in life, it was costing me my focus, and so I cut that out. And I've been—I added in cardio and weight training. And so for me, it's like, okay, if I do that on a consistent basis, I think I will see those increments. Um, but as people, I don't want to diverge too far from technology because I think this is super—it's uh, super salient for our time. So, in the context of as we have more technology competing, if you will, for our attention and more technology that's engineered literally to speak directly to the things that are, you know, based on algorithm and user behavior, you know, catered to our, you know, our dopamine hits. Um, are there ancient technologies, you know, meditation, breath work or exponential technologies, some new things that I don't even maybe know about that you're, you're experimenting with in the in the dojo? Um, that people can utilize to help them navigate this world of 21st century distraction? Um, no, uh, not, not, I mean, te- technologically, no, I, you know, I, 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 I did something sort of similar to the thing you're doing, and this is sort of what I recommend to people. Yeah, it's a really weird experiment, but make a list of the ten things that feel the absolute best to mm-hmm. you on a planet, on the planet. Right? Figure out exactly what those things are. Hopefully, most everything on your list is legal. Um, <laughs> but uh, you get my point. But I do. literally. Like, I've got a list, right? And so when I feel like being hedonic, I reach – if it's not on my list, why bother? Mm. I would rather, right, number one on my list, the the thing I – like, I'm – writing and skiing are pretty much the only things I'm good for other than possibly flow research. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, really, truly. So – Every time, every literally every distraction in the world that comes my way, I measure against skiing. Hmm. That's what it's like. Oh, this thing is tempting. Sure, but if I give it five, you know, but I can save those five minutes for the winter and spend it ski. And I do, right? Like that. And I, that's the other thing is you have to like spend it that way. But to me, big like I like having just my life and then high hard goals for that mission statements and then clear goals because if it's not on those lists and it's not on the things that bring me the most pleasure it's a no yeah i don't it's just a no 
I don't have to wonder about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to. So a lot of the distraction that is technology and all this other stuff, it's already filtered out before it's even sort of gotten in this direction. Um, is what I, is what I would say to it. Um, but I, and I, and I want to speak to one other thing. Uh, it's related, uh, so, as you know, I have a new book out with Peter D. Mattis, The Future is Faster Than You Think. Yep. And <clears throat> the core idea at the heart of this book, it's the third in a sequence, there's abundance, there's bold, this is the future is faster than you think. Right? Abundance was, hey, there's massively accelerating exponential technology in the world that can help solve grand global challenges, poverty, energy, healthcare, those sorts of things. Bold was oh, hey, I want to do this for a business. I want to go after these grand global challenges. How do I do that, right? So we wrote a essentially a playbook for entrepreneurs. And the new book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, is about what happens when those formerly independent lines of accelerating technology, AI, robotics, start to intersect and converge. And when you have converging exponentials, you get a whole is much greater than the sum of its parts effect. And as a result we are going to see massive increases in technological advancement over the next decade. And Ray Kurzweil, who worked out all the numbers and did all the exponential math on this, who's the head of artificial intelligence at Google, uh, basically says we're going to experience 100 years of te- in technological change over the next decade. Hmm. So if you go back to 1920 or today, now can shove that into the next decade. That's what we're in for. That's a massive amount of technological change. As you pointed out, our brains evolved in an area, the era that was local and linear, right? We'd, everything we dealt with was a couple days walk, was local, linear, meaning the rate of change was really slow. Your great-great-granddad's life, it's roughly the same as great-great-grandson's life. Not a whole lot of difference between the generations. Today, it's global and exponential. The brain literally cannot perform at this speed or at this scale was not designed for it. The only way we can actually keep pace is flow. Flow is the only time we can process exponential change. It's the only time we can think at scale, and it's the only time we can perform at speed. It is literally the only way we can keep up. And I'll tell you something even crazier, because this is weird, but it's funny. So when you... Think about yourself, right? Michael, I'm thinking about Michael. There's a part of your brain right in the middle of your forehead called the medial middle prefrontal cortex. The middle of your prefrontal cortex right here gets really hyperactive, very selfish. It governs creative self-expression and a whole bunch of things like that. So it's a very selfish part of the brain. And And when we think about ourselves, it gets really active. It's really excited. When we think about other people, it gets get less excited and less active. So we think about friends, family, it's a little active. Acquaintances, a little less active. Strangers, it totally deactivates. It's just shut down. It's cold. When you think about yourself in the future, who are you going to be 10 years from now? Who are you going to be five years from now? How do I plan for that? How do I think about who my, where my company is going to be 10 years from now, right? You would think this part of your brain gets really active. It doesn't. It actually shuts down. The brain treats treats the person we're going to become as a total stranger. This is why it's really hard to like take a prostate exam or stay on a diet. 
the person who's going to benefit most from those things is not you. It's the person you're going to become, and the brain treats that person as a stranger, Hmm. which is tricky. Flow, for a bunch of complicated reasons, keeps this part of the brain hyperactive. Because flow is a sense of creative self-expression on overdrive. So this part of the brain stays active. So when we're in flow and we think into the future, we can actually see farther than ever before. And with more, it's one of the reasons why intuition and insight gets turned up so high in flow. We can see farther. The technical name for it uh, uh, in the literature is the watchtower effect. Mm-hmm. You literally feel like you're in a watchtower up above your life, right? This goes, by the way, the exact inverse of this, well, when this goes wrong, on happens in PTSD, where you're, ha- where you're again, you're lo- looking over this horrific thing that's happened to you, and you're totally detached from it. That's the sa- same effect, just one's on the good side, the other's on the bad. Same, but same parts of the brain, same mechanisms, same everything sort of involved in this. So flow allows us to kind of plan and prepare for the future and keep pace with this technology in ways that we can't. And I will also say, because flow has such a huge impact on motivation and intrinsic motivation. And if you really sort of, the more you're intrinsically driven, the more flow that gets sort of gets wrapped around your passion and purpose and the more flow gets, gets produced while you're working on your passion and purpose, meaning your clear goals, challenge skills, like everything you're doing all the, every day is advancing your passion and purpose and is producing flow. Because of, how, because of how it works the brain, those blinky, blinky distractions get less tempting hmm. over time. They just, because the drug, flow is better drugs. Technology <laughs> gives you dopamine. It's just, it's really, it's a simple math. So technology just gives you dopamine. Flow right. gives you dopamine, norepinephrine, anandamide, serotonin, and endorphins. These are the five best pleasure drugs the brain can produce. I mean, you want to put two, you put dopamine together with norepinephrine, you've got passion. You've got romantic love. That's mm. the literal chemical formula for romantic love. Now add in three more feel-good neurochemicals on top of it. Now think about like, you know, when you're in love with somebody – and you're obsessed with that person, are you as susceptible to outside distractions, the things that, right, not going to happen? It's like you're in a tunnel. Right? Exactly. So flow sort of does the same thing. So I'm not, I don't have an answer for you, and I don't think there's a technology that's going to make our our, our technology less sticky, and I don't think there's an ancient technology that's going to make our technology less sticky. Though I would guess, by the way, there's probably a bunch of proof that meditation does have this effect, some of the breathwork mindfulness stuff, uh, because it creates space between action and reaction. Yes. Right? You can feel the, 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 the stickiness of technology. It's grabbing for you. Oh, that thing is blinking. i got to go look. But your brain has time to go, are you sure? Yes. Really? Because you're doing this and you're focused and, and this thing is really rewarding. Are you sure you want to go look at the blinky shiny thing? Oh, right. You're better at, at, at kind of delaying that a little bit um so i there may be some energy technology but flow is i think is probably the best with it because it's not going to it doesn't drive by like abstinence like you're not having to resist right it's making you like it's making the resisting really easy the resisting is just really that it's sort of like me if everything comes at me has to get weighed against the flow that can be produced while skiing or writing 
Yes. Because that's the, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you're coming at me with. I can get those on a basically a daily basis or a weekly basis. So that's what you're getting compared to with whatever shiny, blinky thing you're coming my way with. And trust me, it's not going to compete. I love I love this idea. I'm actually going to take away and I recommend for everyone listening maybe the same. I love this top 10 idea. And I like the idea of juxtaposing the distraction with – uh, the context of this, you know, the the five the five neurochemicals uh, uh, that you that you experience in, in flow state versus the one in dopamine, and the, the this notion of building that muscle. So over time, that that muscle actually makes the the dopamine hit less desirable, almost like. Uh, for lack of a better analogy, like getting sober, you know, like I imagine, like well, it's probably really so hard first, for like. <laughs> yeah, the first time, the first time I ever heard anybody talk about this, yeah, was a guy who was trying to get over a cocaine addiction, yeah, and really bad one. And what he said to me is, I thought it was so interesting, is he said, now when I, because his problem was he would go to bars, he worked all day, he was really tired, he was single, so he'd go to bars. And he'd only go out like Friday nights, right? That was when it said go out on Friday nights. And he was so tired because he worked all week, you know, would start like by eight o'clock, nine o'clock. By the time women are coming to the bars, he wants to go home and go to bed. So he started using cocaine because uh, it's waking him up, right? And, and blah, blah. And it, one thing led to another. And pretty soon it was a fairly heavy addiction. So what he said is, and, but he still wanted to go to bars so he could, because he was still single. He said, so what he did was every time he would go to bars, have a couple drinks, and he would start to think, oh, I, I want some Coke, he would play it forward. He'd be like, okay, well, you're going to do Coke now, and you're going to feel really great for two hours, and then you're going to want to sell somebody your liver for more cocaine. That's going to be miserable. You're going to be up till dawn. That's going to be miserable. You're going to get sick for the next three days because that's what this drug does to you, right? And he would play it forward and then he would compare it to oh my god i'm gonna get an hour of pleasure really like it's gonna cost me three and a half days and (laughs) right like like most of us are really logical even in the face fiction yes not all the time booze doesn't help right like booze takes away the willpower and things like that but as a general rule we can be fairly logical in the face of our addictions um and this is the other thing that nobody likes to say out loud, and I say it all the time. Uh, adult life and peak performance is addiction management. Mm. Don't kid yourself. Habits are addictions, right? That's, it, habits are nothing more than addictions. They're underpinned by the same neurochemicals that make you addicted to any other drugs, gambling, sex. Take your, it's the same thing. Adult life is addiction management. It's wow. not like the idea, the idea that, that, that that's just how we're built. We have different terms for it, right? But I mean, flow is the most addictive state on earth. Yeah. But me, high chicks at me high used to say the only difference between flow and all the other addictions is because flow forces you to use your skill sets to the utmost. It's an addiction that leads forward and into the future, whereas gambling, sex and drugs are addictions that lead backwards and they drag you back. Wow, I but love that. But it's still this, right? It's still that you're still managing sticky neurochemistry in your system. The neurochemicals are the same, right? What is the street? I mean, and I mean this literally. When you snort cocaine, the most addictive substance on earth, it releases dopamine, right? It spikes dopamine to about 700% above normal levels. Can you get there naturally? Yeah, if you combine novelty and uncertainty, 
together, dopamine spikes about 700%. It's the same. You can do, you can play these games naturally. You can play, right? It works the same way. But if you were to cocktail the street drug version of flow, it would be cocaine, speed, ecstasy, marijuana, and heroin. You couldn't do it. Your brain, like you literally would end up in a coma or dead, but you're your brain actually cocktail those drugs and give you that pleasure. It's amazing. Our own internal, you know, neurochemistry is better. Not this is not an exaggeration. There's endorphins are internal opiates. Yeah, there are about twenty different ones in the brain. The most common one is a hundred times more potent than medical morphine. These are really powerful drugs. Um, yeah, the, it reminds me a little bit um, more on the sort of stealing far side, but that ecstasies, people chasing the ecstasies. But oftentimes not doing and, – and I'll use a context. I mean we're ta- you're talking about sort of pharmacological drugs. But I, you know, I, I'm, I think a lot about – oftentimes people chasing the ecstasy but without doing the integration. Like if you're actually trying to use – not in the context of say street drugs but like using ecstatic states as a, as, as, for the novelty factor that it can induce. But then insights, you know, whether you're going to a burning man or you're going – you know, uh, here in Venice, like, there's a lot of plant medicine use, etc. It's like people chase that. The, the, I the, hate I hate that phrase. Yeah. I absolutely like. I, I now want to jump through Skype. And <laughs> okay, what, what, whatever you want We're to call it. Let's just say it. Jungle people. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. No, no. Well, I mean, it's my biggest pet peeve. Honestly, I did a whole show on this. Uh, this the, the sort of Venice shaman, quote unquote. But anyway, we won't go. We won't go too far down that road, except to say that there's a, there's a, there's approximation of ancient technologies uh, that are being used in ways that, in my view, aren't 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 uh, oftentimes. Uh, Taking into if consideration, one, if one more kid with a funny hat <laughs> wants to have a cacao ceremony with me, right? Somebody's going to die. I'm just saying. Fair enough, but uh, but yeah, to that to that point, like I feel like there's no there's no context around. I, I like this idea of, of addiction management, which also to me correlates to this idea of integration. Like if you're actually trying to utilize mind altering states, uh, which which can be beyond obviously drugs. Um, in a way, and, 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 not, and not be chasing it or chasing the tail of it. No, I'm, I'm curious let about me give how. You an example. Let me yeah, let's talk yeah, about. Please. Let me just give you a simple flow example from my own life. So there's a whole bunch of neurochemistry in flow, and one of the things that happens is you get a lot of dopamine, as I said. Yep. And one of the things that dopamine does in the brain is it drives focus, but it also amplifies pattern recognition. Pattern recognition is the ability to connect ideas with ideas and ideas. This is why, so in creative flow states, why do ideas spiral? Because you've got so much dopamine that every good idea you have is leading to another, is leading to another, is leading to another. Here's the problem. Dopamine has a peak concentration in the brain and body about 20 minutes. So at max intensity, right, if you were to go out and try to snort Every line of cocaine you could possibly snort and release all your brain's dopamine at once, you'd be high for about 20 minutes, 40 minutes, right in there, and then it, then it's gone. Why are TED Talks 20 minutes long? Because dopamine is your principal focusing drug, and it only lasts about 20 minutes. Hmm. That's why. Um, in fact, I'll give you a totally different example. You've gone to a James Bond movie. You've sat through the opening 20 minutes where everything blows up. Every time something blows up, by the way, you're getting dopamine. Why are you exhausted a half an hour into a James Bond movie and you have to sit through the next two hours and you're bored out of your freaking mind and the popcorn tastes stale and all that? It's because of all the dopamine. You've got no good neurochemistry. 
So in flow, same problem exists, right? You get into a flow state and the dopamine will keep, it'll keep going until you've exhausted all that dopamine. That's a problem because if you want to get into flow the next day, certain neurochemicals take a little while to rebuild. You need proteins, you need vitamins, you need sunshine, blah, blah, blah. So when I go skiing, always puts me into flow. The minute I come home, I jump into a bathtub and I start reading some kind of spy fiction. Some, I, I don't, I'm not reading nonfiction because I'm reading nonfiction. The dopamine in my brain is going to start going, um, oh, that's a cool idea. That's a cool idea. That's a cool. And it's going to keep going. I am going to read something that shuts that down. It's just going to suck me in into this cheap thrill story, whatever. But I'm going to sit tired and distract myself from the dopamine inflow so I can have some tomorrow when I write, when I ski. Yes. So you're basically managing dopamine and not going through the, the exalted peak but then the crash. You're actually, in, in a I, way, riding it. Yeah. I, my, my, I, I got to jump in a, in a, in a I second. Know, I know. I was mindful. Will, Two more minutes. What I, what I, what, what I will say is uh, – um, I think the more I study peak performance and the more time I spend around really long-term peak performers, right? I'm, I'm fascinated because I'm old at this point in, in <laughs> kind of sustained peak performance. What does it take for a first act, second act, third act, fourth act, fifth act, right? There's all this really cool research that shows we can perform into, at our peak into our 80s now in really cool, cool ways. Okay. Cool. I'm interested in that. What's that going to take? That sort of thing. And if you look at long-term peak performers, they don't ride the highs too high and they don't ride the lows too low. And the main reason is it steals their freaking neurochemistry and they want their neurochemistry to perform at their best the next day. So anyways, I love that's it. what I'm going to leave you with. Thank you, brother. Right, and uh, where can people find you? So, Because I know you got the new book out. Let them know. <laughs> the futurefasterbook.com is the website Peter DeMattis myself set up for the book, stephencotler.com, S-T-E-V-E-N-K-O-T-L-E-R.com will get you the book. And uh, the flowresearchcollective.com is the Flow Research Collective. And I will tell you as a final sort of gift to your audience, if you go to the flowresearchcollective.com forward slash flow blocker, we've got a really cool diagnostic that basically will analyze your life and say, okay, this is the thing that's in your life that is and being the most in your way between getting the amount of flow you want. So that's free. That's on the flowresearchcollective.com. And hey, it was fun hanging out with you, man. It was fun, man. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Stephen Kotler. I know that I did. Tremendous amount of value and insights. I know that I'm going to apply many of these uh, practices into my uh, productivity routine and regimen including that uh, morning practice of an, uh, an hour and a half to two hours of undivided attention. If you got value out of the episode, please do me the great favor of leaving us a five-star rating and review. Uh, your rating and reviews help us to grow this community and move up in the algorithm. So if you're finding value, that would mean the world to me. Um, if you have any constructive feedback, that's always welcome at Michael Trainer on uh, Instagram. It's always my pleasure to hear your feedback, no matter what it is. 
And uh, I love this community. I love your insights. I do not take your time for granted. I'm so grateful that you invest your time and energy uh, with us. And it's such a pleasure to uh, provide you guys with this content. It's really been a profound uh, gift to my life. And I'm so grateful for your time and your energy. And with that, go out there and live your inspired life.